Welcome to the Archives of Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. The right of the public to know what our government does, how, when, and why, is basic to our American system of democracy. Most states and the federal government have enacted laws requiring public meetings to be open with substantial prohibitions against secrecy. Also, there are laws guaranteeing the public access to records kept and maintained by the government. The California First Amendment Coalition, based in Sacramento, California, has published a book entitled Legal Notebook, How to Keep Open Meetings Open and Public Meetings Public. Our guest in this archive edition of Radio Curious, recorded and broadcast in the fall of 1998, is Terry Frank, a California attorney who is the general counsel for the California First Amendment Coalition and author of this book. I asked Terry Frank to begin by describing the circumstances under which an otherwise public meeting may be closed to the public. The uh, law on that varies from state to state, but uh, many uh, of the open meeting laws of the states uh, recognize some very common exceptions which allow uh, bodies such as uh, city and, and county uh, organizations and school boards to confer confidentially outside the presence of the public. Perhaps the most common is when it's necessary to talk frankly about an actual or a prospective employee and his or her competence uh, or performance or personal merit. Uh, the so-called personnel session. The uh, law allows applicants for a job to be reviewed confidentially if, if uh, indeed uh, the district is small enough and the position is close enough to the to the body to uh, to involve the body in that kind of thing. In other words, a uh, where would a teacher situation fit in? Well, in a situation where uh, a teacher is uh, being personally reviewed by a school board or is the subject of a possible disciplinary action uh, or has other uh, personal performance issues to be discussed by the school board, then uh, there's that kind of closed session. But would the teacher be able to say, I want this session to be open? Does the teacher hold the Some privilege? Yes. In, in uh, California, if it's a kind of closed session where the board is reviewing specific complaints or charges about the teacher's performance, then uh, the law says that not only the teacher has the, and this, this is true for all employees, by the way, not just teachers, uh, that the employee not only has the right to insist on an open airing of the charges, uh, in an open session, but specifically must be informed of that in writing. Informed of the right of being able to have a public meeting? Yes. On their it, private employment matters? First, before the uh, meeting at which complaints or charges would be discussed otherwise in closed session. So if a teacher or any other employee is in the kind of trouble that involves specific allegations of misconduct, for example, 
then uh, that teacher must be notified at least uh, 24 hours in advance so that he or she can elect whether or not to demand uh, an open airing. Many of them, uh, in fact, uh, uh, my, my uh, reading is al- almost all go ahead and uh, allow for a closed session anyway because they're not sure exactly what's up. But this, is, this rule is there to allow teachers who are convinced that they're being uh, falsely accused or railroaded, I keep saying teachers, but it applies to all employees, to essentially force their accusers, or at least the accusations, to uh, come out in the open so they can uh, challenge them openly. Does this apply to students as well as teachers? Uh, No. Um, Can a student have a closed hearing, or is it required uh, to be open? The the first uh, part of it doesn't apply. That is uh, the uh, sort of advising of rights. It is true that in a uh, disciplinary situation where the school board, again, is getting involved directly in uh, suspension, for example, or expulsion decisions, the student and or the parent, who usually makes the operative decision, may insist on an open uh, airing of the charges. How about other circumstances where the uh, school board or the local electric elected body can meet in secret? Uh, perhaps the other most common one, again, at least here in California, uh, is the occasion for a body having a consultation with its attorney on matters of pending litigation. And that latter phrase, pending litigation, is a kind of is, is a term of art. It doesn't necessarily mean um, what one might think it means. It does indeed refer to an existing lawsuit that the city or county or school district is involved in, and that's the uh, classic use of it to allow the body to confer with the attorney. How are we doing? Uh, what's our next step? What are our strengths and weaknesses? Uh, what guidance would you like from us? It's a, just an attorney-client a consultation where the client happens to be five to seven people. Uh, but that's not the only situation. Uh, the law also allows for the body to uh, look ahead a little bit and decide if it is likely to be sued. This is where it gets tricky because uh, we don't want to closed session every time uh, something comes up that is controversial enough that someone somewhere might sue about it. And so it's required that in order to close the session to talk about um, the the prospective litigation or or, or potential future litigation, that uh, the body either identify what it is that is uh, that constitutes the threat. Who is who is uh, saying that they're going to sue the district or the city, and why? Uh, so that people don't have to wonder: is this a bona fide uh, case of a litigation threat, or is it simply bogus? Uh, and there's one more situation, of course, where the city or or county may be discussing whether to sue somebody else. In that case, um, that's uh, 
essentially what they what they have to say on the agenda just that much, and, and uh, the public is indeed left with a little bit of mystery, but and, may be sued. In other words, the, the local board can say we're thinking about suing uh, entity, entity or Mr. X, and that's all they can, that's all they have to do. In essence, yes. They're, uh, they're not required to identify the potential defendant, whereas if they're afraid of being the defendant, they are required to identify the potential plaintiff. How about in a situation where uh, they want to purchase or get a long-term lease on some real estate and uh, they're afraid there may be some litigation that flows from it? Does the discussion about the purchase or lease have to be in the open? Well, that is a really completely separate basis for a closed session, and there does not need to be any litigation in the picture. In fact, uh, there probably shouldn't be because... Uh, at this early point, if what you're worrying about is some litigation that might emerge from uh, the outcome of a property purchase or a lease or something like that, that's that's very far down the track and quite speculative. So the law wouldn't permit a litigation session under those circumstances, but what it would permit is for the city council or school board to hold a closed session with its negotiator, its own bargaining agent, in the negotiations to buy the property. And one thing that uh, is sometimes a source of confusion here is that the body is not allowed to decide whether to uh, try to acquire a piece of property or get rid of it uh, in closed session. That is a policy decision that must be discussed publicly. And so the question of whether or not to uh, sell the corner property that the city's had for 20 years on the corner of Oak Street, that is a matter for public discussion. But once they find, uh, once they, they make that decision uh, in, in open session, and then they find a prospective buyer, uh, then they can hold a closed session not with the buyer or the buyer's representative, but with their own bargaining agent to... Uh, uh, to supervise the progress of the negotiations and offer new instructions and so forth, at least as far as the issues of price and terms of payment are concerned. But again, before going into that kind of closed session, they have to say, in so many words, uh, we are negotiating with uh, uh, Jim Jones or Jane Smith. Uh, that is the person who's uh, interested in buying the property on the corner of... of uh, Oak Street. So they have to identify both the other party to negotiations and the particular parcel or building that is under negotiation. Well, That's Terry, would it be a fair statement then to say that other topics uh, of elected bodies must be done in public? Uh, most of them. Uh, the only other one that, that comes up uh, with any kind of frequency, the only other kind of exception, is uh, where the uh, employees are bargaining for increases in pay uh, or benefits. Uh, and that has two forms. If we're talking about an employee union, then you have pretty much the same uh, kind of uh, a situation of, of a closed session by the board to talk with its own negotiator who then goes back and negotiates with the union, but no direct negotiation with the union. Uh, the other situation is where it's not uh, a union, but a couple of individual employees, usually executives who are 
by definition, never going to be unionized because they're the chief executive. They may be the superintendent or some department heads of the city manager. And someone is representing the board in negotiating directly with them for an increase in salary or a new contract or something like that that implies an increase in negotiation. Again, closed session is permitted there between the body and its bargaining agent, not the other side. And uh, the difference there is that any final action uh, on the individual's uh, contract or pay increase must be in open session. Well, Terry, what to do, what is the citizen to do if uh, they feel that the closed session law is violated and the public's business is done in secret? I think it depends on when they discover that. Um, I'm going to have to talk... Uh, in terms of California, but I think that most states have comparable rules. Uh, and if you see something happening right before your eyes because you're at a meeting of the uh, city council and school board, and for example, they bring up something that is not on the agenda and they tear right into it and it looks like they're going to uh, take action, and the only reason you know about it is because you're sitting right there, but no one else does. That's usually a violation of the law, or at least it is in California. Uh, action can't be taken on matters that were never on the agenda for the public to be aware of. And so uh, there is a way to uh, stand and ask to be recognized and protest that uh, this is not allowed by the law. Before you explain that way to stand and ask to be recognized and how to be successful in doing it, I want to take a moment and say that our guest this week is Terry Frank, an attorney in Sacramento who's affiliated with the California First Amendment Coalition. He's also the author of the, their publication called Legal Notebook, How to Keep Open Meetings Open and Public Meetings Public. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Terry, what should someone do under those circumstances? Well, I, I think at the, at the uh, first opportunity, or perhaps to even to create the opportunity, you go to the podium or whatever lectern uh, arrangement is provided for uh, speakers who are addressing the body. And um, it's not necessary to get into any technicality about point of order or that sort of thing. You simply ask to be recognized and tell the person presiding, uh, the mayor or the uh, school board president or whoever, that uh, according to your understanding of the open meeting law, uh, what they're about to do is not permitted because it's not on the agenda or because closed session isn't permitted on this sort of thing, whatever uh, applies to the situation. And if they uh, continue and, and refuse to recognize that statement, what then? Well, that's the most that you uh, can do at that particular point. If, and I stress if, you were extremely confident that uh, you were correct on an issue of closed meetings so that uh, they were essentially telling the public to leave, but you were absolutely confident that you knew the law and the law didn't permit them to close the meeting for what they were trying to do. But then, of course, you could just sit in place and uh, cause them to uh, have to decide what, you know, 
either hold the meeting elsewhere or arrest you. Day. Uh, do they do they really want to uh, try to get you ejected uh, and risk a false arrest uh, charge, or do they want to uh, simply uh, uh, back off from their decision to hold the closed session? Or, you know, of course, sometimes what they will do is simply open the door behind them, walk into a room and lock it <laughs> behind them. But uh, ordinarily, uh, the, the best thing to do is, if you can, when you can, make your point uh, before the activity happens so that at least they can't say, well, no one protested, no one brought it to our attention. That's about all you can do. But a no. failure to protest does not make it a valid activity on their no. part. No, it does not. It does not. It simply makes it harder politically for them to say, well, uh, we did it because it seemed uh, the right thing to do and no one uh, suggested there was anything wrong with it. Legally speaking, of course, uh, again, uh, and I refer to the Brown Act for California, depending on what kind of violation we're talking about, uh, you have 30 to 90 days uh, to react. and. Uh, for instance, if it's something that happens right there in the uh, open session, but it it was not on the agenda, uh, then you've got 30 days to submit a written demand for cure and correction. And this is essentially a letter, simply a letter uh, sent to the offending body saying, on such and such a date, uh, you did this, um, the Brown Act or the open meeting law requires to the contrary or prohibits that kind of thing, uh, I am demanding that you cure or correct that violation by doing the following. And here you can be uh, creative depending on, on exactly what, what kind of action by them would tend to remove the taint or problem that they caused by the illegal surprise or secrecy. So, for example, if it's a problem of something not being on the agenda, logically you would want to ask them to suspend or rescind whatever action they took and uh, place the matter uh, on the agenda of a coming meeting so that the whole public can understand what's going on and can come and comment. Let's talk about agendas for a minute. Yes. What the agenda should say, where it should be distributed, uh, the opportunity to make it available to the average citizen? Well, under the law of California for local agencies, for example, and I think these are pretty much the same everywhere, the body is required to post an agenda, that is a list of things that are to be uh, discussed and or acted upon, either one, at least one place within their territories. Uh, if it's a city, somewhere within city limits. And it must be a place accessible to the public. Uh, and for a regular meeting, for example, it must be up and out there and accessible to the public 72 hours in advance. And so what that usually means is that the city or school board must either have a kind of... Uh, public bulletin board out in the open air someplace, or perhaps uh, uh, tape their agendas to the inside of a glass door someplace. But uh, 
it should be available for people to see. So that someone can see it on a Saturday night for a Monday evening meeting. Right. That's right. Uh, it doesn't do much good to say that you've posted something 72 hours in advance if 48 of those hours uh, are has it on a bulletin board deep in the bowels of a building that isn't open to the public. And what does the agenda ha item itself have to contain? Uh, it has to contain what the law calls a brief general description. Uh, and the law says that generally the description needn't exceed 20 words. It has to, and admittedly sometimes this is a little tricky, but what it has to do is give people who you would think would care about something enough of an idea about what is up, what is planned to be discussed or acted on, so that they can make an informed decision about either you know, whether to get further information or indeed whether to come to the meeting. And uh, obviously this is not a matter of uh, requiring uh, great detail on things that are often very detailed, but it's uh, a matter of using that uh, handful of words to grab people's attention and say, uh, this thing is going to be discussed or acted on. So that means that the writer of the agenda can either make it uh, a very telling 20 words or a very blah, non-descriptive 20 words, and that's really up to the local writer, the clerk of the board or something? Uh, it is, and uh, there are very few challenges to the language uh, as such. Well, let's assume that someone catches on and they want more information. What information would they be entitled to see if they go to the clerk's office before the meeting? They'd be entitled to see, number one, uh, certainly if we're w within the uh, time limit that the, the, the school board of the city council has already been given its packet of materials for the meeting, they're entitled to see anything in that packet, the entire packet, at least to the extent we're talking about matters that would be in open session. So they're not going to see an attorney-client memorandum, for example, but uh, they will see a perhaps a, a staff memo on a uh, project having to do with the street closure or something like that. Uh, they're, they're, these are public records. They would be public records anyway, but in the closing days before a meeting in that 72-hour uh, period or at least whenever it's been given to the board, uh, they're entitled to them immediately and uh, unhesitatingly. So uh, the difference is that sometimes you ask for records which you know uh, eventually are, are going to be conceded as, as public, but sometimes the agency will take its time and uh, may string out uh, several days in uh, making up its mind that, well, this is public. But before, right before a meeting, they have to give it to you. That's right. There's no agonizing, no argument. Uh, if there's something that uh, is uh, handed out to the board or the council in connection with an open and public meeting, uh, you get it when you ask for it. And if you don't get it when you ask for it, does that uh, limit the right of that elected body to act on the uh, agenda item at the upcoming meeting? Unfortunately, no, it does not. Uh, but uh, what it does is make it uh, 
politically embarrassing, let's say. And I must say, as a kind of a parenthesis for all this we're talking about, I'm, I keep talking about legal rules, of course, but... It's really the politics that control. It's, it's, uh, politics is a very powerful overlay over all this. So if I had some clerk tell me that I couldn't get a copy of part of the agenda packet that was going to be discussed in open session, I guess the first thing that I would do is call the presiding officer, the, the mayor, uh, or the president of the school board, and, uh, you know, yell bloody murder. And I guess it's important to emphasize that the mayor or the president of the school board are just regular folks like the rest of us, and they uh, are approachable. Their numbers are usually in the phone book. That's right. Uh, they are either in the phone book or uh, they have to have, uh, uh, you've got to be able to get a, uh, an accessible number through voicemail or something through the school board itself. So there, there uh, should be a way of reaching them in, in very short order. And yes, they are uh, at least as regular folks as the rest of us. Though they may not think so. <laughs> Terry, I want to thank you for joining us on Radio Curious. And as we come to the end of our time, uh, I would like you to take a minute and explain what the California First Amendment Coalition is and does, if you can summarize it in a minute. Sure. It's a nonprofit organization uh, about 10 years old uh, this year, uh, which comprises a number of uh, media professional organizations like the California School Boards Association, or sorry, the California Newspaper Publishers Association and the uh, Society for Professional Journalists, but also has many public members with a common goal of helping people understand their rights to get information, to attend open and public meetings under the law, and to express themselves with the rights given them under the First Amendment. So we do education. We have a public hotline uh, free to anyone who has questions about their rights, about the same things we're talking about tonight. Can you tell us the hotline number, please? It is area 916-974-8888. 916-974-8888. Well, Terry Frank, I want to thank you for joining us on Radio Curious. And before we close, I want to ask you the question I ask all of my guests at this time. And that is, could you please tell us of an interesting book that you've read lately? Yes, and I'm glad you gave me a little bit of warning uh, before the show about this, because I just went to check the title out. It's called Who Killed Homer? It's uh, by a, uh, a couple of uh, classical uh, scholars, uh, Greek and Latin, uh, here in uh, California, uh, who are talking about the, uh, the tragedy of how instruction uh, in Latin and Greek have disappeared and what that subtracts from our ability to understand not B.C., but contemporary life. Because uh, if uh, you really look at what was happening in uh, ancient uh, Athens and Rome, uh, you don't have to find uh, uh, any other examples for some of the problems we're looking at today. Anyway. Well, Terry Frank, I want to thank you for joining us on Radio Curious. Terry Frank is the author of Legal Notebook, How to Keep Open Meetings Open and Public Meetings Public. The book that he recommends is Who Killed Homer? 
the demise of classical education and the recovery of Greek wisdom by Victor Davis Hanson and John Heath. Copies of this and other editions of Radio Curious can be found on our website, www.radiocurious.org. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org, and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, 95482. The phone is 707-621-5075. Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.